Listener Production. Culture is the worst behaviours we're willing to accept. If you don't believe that culture is important, then you're allowing those behaviours to go unchecked. They will eventually have an impact on your business and on your bottom line results. And we have seen the risk of not paying attention to culture and what that can do from a business perspective. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. If 2020 showed us anything, it's the importance of fostering a positive culture at work, whether that's in the office or working from home. My guest today is Hiam Sakakini, the founder and CEO of The Culture Equation, a boutique management consultancy that supports organisations to develop high-performing cultures. The Culture Equation focuses on culture change and all that that entails. Hiam herself grew up in Saudi Arabia with an Irish mum and a Lebanese dad. She moved to Ireland to study sociology and then she went to New York for an internship in theatre PR before working in the leadership development team at Google for over 10 years. So it's fair to say she knows an extensive amount about culture, change management and the importance of good leadership in the workplace. 2020 saw businesses trying to navigate the uncertainty of COVID. So Hiam's team created a bespoke program to supercharge businesses by developing high-performing cultures able to lead through any crisis. So, Hiam, you're passionate about fostering this positive and open office culture. I've got a question for you that I've been asked a lot this year, and that is, how can I work on culture when I'm not in the office? That's a great question. And um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I can't wait for this conversation. I really want to get underneath this idea of culture and remote working and uncertainty. Really looking forward to it. Me too, me too. And, and I'm fortunate to be working now with some great organisations who know that culture is their biggest differentiator. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to see a few little trends across those organisations. So what I did notice is that during the crisis that we are going through and have been through for all of 2020, that those organizations that really focused on their culture before, it was like they were putting money into a bank that they could then withdraw on during the crisis. So it was almost like working outside of the office wasn't really what mattered to them. They knew what they stood for. They knew what they were there to do. They didn't necessarily know the road ahead because everything was changing so quickly around them. But there were some key principles that they could fall back on no matter what when it came to difficult decisions. And those key principles were around what are we here to achieve. So this question of whether we're in the office or outside of the office seems irrelevant then in your mind. Absolutely. It was really interesting because when you strip those things back, it really does reveal the culture. Um, it It really does reveal those invisible pillars that are standing there irrespective of physical walls. So I was really, really proud of some of the organizations that we work with, that they were very clear on that. They were very clear on who they are there to serve, what they are there to do in the world. Mm. And that's also to make money so that we can continue existing. So they had to keep an eye on the 
on that side of the profitability of their organization as well and make really difficult decisions around that. Um, but how they worked, again, principle of values, the behaviors that we uphold in this organization stood true as well. Which reminds me actually of a, a quote by Peter Drucker, the very famous management consultant who said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Absolutely. And that's a very famous saying. And it means that we can still make money, but it's all about creating the right culture that will be able to enable us to make money. Yeah. Some people don't believe that. They believe that the bottom line is key rather than culture. So am I right in saying that you think culture is, like Peter Drucker, the most important thing? Absolutely. I do think strategy actually is also important because it, it kind of governs the what we're going to do um, and the culture is more the how we're going to do that. But I do believe that if you're not going to have um, easy access across the office to a manager or a leader, those two things are the things that you can look at your strategy and your culture in order to make decisions independent of that leader or manager. So that is why I think they were so important during the last year and while they'll continue to be important as we go forward. Okay, let's talk a little bit about last year. What changed for leadership? Let's zoom out and think about, you know, a few things that changed. The obvious things like we were working at home, but what really changed for leaders? I think leaders did have to be very clear on their narrative. So it wasn't acceptable anymore to kind of just be task orientated or quarterly, you know, orientated. This was, they needed to have that macro level narrative that puts the organization into context for everybody and simplifies what is really complex. And I think that was something that leaders really needed to focus on. What is their narrative? And they had to pull back a few layers as well. They had to, they had to be a bit vulnerable in terms of how the, the changes were affecting them on a personal level. People needed to know that they were also going through the hard times, you know, the working from home while looking after kids, while juggling, you know, meal times and schedules for for their school situation with their children and just the, the general chaos we were all thrown into. Um, so I feel that great leaders really empathized, really understood, really checked in much more frequently. I mean, t- daily basis for a lot of them where it would have been maybe weekly or monthly before. So very much more frequent but shorter check-ins to see how people were were traveling. Do you think leaders became more authentic, vulnerable and personable during this period? I mean, the great leaders? I do. And I think from a team perspective, what I noticed, I mean, I had so many people coming to me saying, we have never worked better as an executive team. Wow. All the egos have dropped. All the barriers have dropped. All the bureaucracy has dropped. And we're now really working like a proper team rather than a group of individuals, each with our own agenda. We are now working for the safety of this organization, keeping people safe, number one, and then keeping the company safe from, you know, from a vulnerable situation, whether it be financially or, or whether their product, they couldn't get their product, you know, into the country or whatever it might be. So they really started working in a very different way. So this idea of working as a collective Mm. in a crisis has come up before and I'm old enough to have seen the GFC and a few other things and the leadership teams I work with say the same thing. Oh, we're really good in a crisis because we're working on the collective. So this ingredient, this sounds very important, like a a clue to the future of great cultures in teams. It does, doesn't it? It makes me realise and it was something we then decided to experiment with. 
is, well, how do teams of leaders essentially become a team versus a group? And so we did a lot around group coaching and team coaching during the the last year. And we've measured the before and after picture with how those people communicated with each other, how they gave feedback to each other, how they coached one another themselves so that they themselves could be the strongest team they could possibly be to lead the organization forward. And it, it amazes me how much we spend on individual executive coaching for this sort of level and how little we spend on team coaching, which actually could could be the, the sort of magical force for this team to come together versus everyone getting an individual separate coach. So that mm. was an interesting revelation for us during this time that we were really playing with. Driving forward as a collective. Driving yeah. forward as a, and really multiplying the effect of that mm. collective. So what else did you notice in 2020 that was happening? What changed for leaders in 2020? We're saying that they're focusing more on the collective, those that were successful, and that others were really tuning into their authenticity and vulnerability and connecting about people's well-being. Yeah. What else did you notice? I noticed that collaboration was a big one. And, And from a leadership perspective, it was more collaborating with other industry counterparts, potentially competitors, but saying, you know, how are you going? What are you seeing? What are you doing? And and I really love that. I really love that we're, we're not being so closed minded as to say, you know, we're not going to be interested in what our closest competitors are doing so that we can either help them or they can help us. I think that was a really mature way mm. of looking at things from a leadership perspective, which I loved. I love that you point that out too, because it's something now that you say that I really noticed. I'm often been surprised at the collaboration yeah. for the national interest, to be frank. So Absolutely. there's a lot of my clients who have been doing some extraordinary things along those lines. Okay. So what does that mean for the difference between a good and a great leader? So we've talked about a couple of those areas. Is there anything else that Anybody listening might think, okay, I'm going to collaborate. I'm going to be more authentic. I'm going to be collectively minded. What else? What are the other things that you've noticed? It was interesting. um, A piece of research that was done in Google back in 2008 that looked at what do great managers do differently from the rest. And they repeated that and refreshed it 10 years later. And there was two new things that came up. So there was eight original behaviors. And the top of that list was my manager is a great coach when asked the organization. So I think that stands true again. Coaching is the most empowering way of giving your teams autonomy, mastery and purpose, which is fantastic. But the two new things that came in as this organization got more complex, got bigger, was a collaboration. My manager collaborates across the organization, which I loved to see. And we just talked about collaboration from a Mm -hmm. leadership perspective, but from a manager perspective, what that means is that Managers realized they didn't have to have all the answers to everything for every individual in their team, that they could refer based on what that individual in their team needed to advance in their career to other leaders in the organization and say, you know what, Peter over here is just brilliant at, you know, sales operations. And I think you could learn from that person. Let me connect the two of you. Ask Peter if he'd be willing to mentor you. Come back to me in six months times. Tell me how you're going on. Would you be up for that? And so really understanding as an organization, as managers, is what we do not have to have the answer to every single question or every single skill that every person in our team wants to advance in. I actually can, again, harness the power of the collective 
in this organization. And again, it's just a change almost in personality that we're seeing in terms of great leaders and great managers in the world is that it's that sense of vulnerability. I don't know everything. I wish I did. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to refer you to somebody and I'm going to keep you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Amazing. One of the things that I noticed on the political stage is that we are it's been a crazy year in Hasn't terms it? of that. Uh, but if we think about the likes of Jacinda Ardern yeah. and now Joe Biden, two of the characteristics that are recognised as their positive leadership are their, their vulnerability, their personable relatedness, their empathy, authenticity, and also the greater good. So I, I'm wondering if that sort of also applies down to corporate. Absolutely. And then there's a perception that having that vulnerability, that empathy as being maybe somehow a weak leader, yet we're seeing the opposite play out in terms of how, for example, coronavirus has been handled in New Zealand. Strong decision making, standing her ground, but yet communicating things in a way that has empathy and understanding for the people that it affects. And with, you know, Biden coming in, I'm seeing the same sorts of uh, principles hold true, you know, still very strong decision maker, moving things decisively forward um, and great, great communication in the process. Mm. Um, but yes, definitely some interesting examples on the political stage. So what can we expect in 2021? It's Actually, anecdotally for me, there's a lot of people saying they're not that motivated. Yeah. It's the beginning of the year and there's a certain level of uncertainty, but also good news in the papers about vaccines and being able to come back to the office at some stage. And we're very lucky in Mm. Australia. What does 2021 really hold for people when they're struggling to motivate others to get going? It's a great question. Look, I think the first thing that our 2021 leaders are doing well, if they are, you know, the kind of the new face of the the 2021 leader is they're acknowledging the pain of the last year and the potential burnout that their people have faced and knowing that burnout can't be solved in a, you know, a couple of days off. So really coming up with innovative strategies on how they can help their teams to recharge or at least giving their people the autonomy to decide how best they can recharge. And again, that's wonderful. In terms of just saying, you know, pause, reflect and, and acknowledge rather than just steamroll straight into 2021. I think people are dry heaving with exhaustion right now. Um, so that's one thing I'm noticing. And as I say, the other thing is this idea of collective leadership. So I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, I, I work a lot with um, startups, scale ups, those kind of uh, fast growing organizations. I'm seeing a lot of co-CEOs. I don't know if that's something you've noticed, but not in the not in some of the organisations I'm in because they're they're quite a bit larger. Yeah, but I'm curious about this. Cozy, even look at it, Lassie, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, yeah. yes. So I mean, there is there is more of a trend towards sharing that top role because it is an exhausting role, and having a, a, a duo versus a one person. Um, and that allows you to kind of toggle in terms of your energy and the roles that you play and the areas that you might focus on. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing a lot more co-CEOs, which again just shows people moving into that space of acknowledging that it doesn't have to be all down to the one leader or the one individual in terms of leading. So mm. just totally changing that. Another thing I'm noticing is full teams moving and going for roles rather than one person 
and going into a role and then maybe bringing that team slowly with them, but almost like a transplant of teams moving from one organization to another, knowing that they do their best work together. Why do we disband and then regroup eventually into another organization? So I'm seeing a lot lot of adaptability there. Yeah, Mm. fantastic. What do you think of our motivation? How do we how do we get motivated again? If I'm a leader listening to you right now, what are your top tips about that motivation to motivate my people to come back to the office and get back into work? Well, I think the first thing I'm noticing is that leaders again are listening to how their people want to move back to the office. I think there is no pushback there. I think everybody says, you know, at some point I would like to get back to some sort of office space, whether we use that from more of a collaboration perspective where our teams can come together or whether it's, you know, deep work or, you know, hosting partner events or client events. Everyone's saying there is a there is a role this space and this nucleus plays. But I think the best leaders out there are really taking time to consult with their people to say, well, what if we have just, you know, got physical walls. What would you like to use that for? What would you like to use the space for? How can we make more of this space now that, you know, we can we can take this time to decide what it could be used for in the future? Or do you want it to go straight back to the way it was? And using that consultation process has actually made people more motivated, more excited to go back and um, because they've had some sort of say in how things can play out going forward. Is it just going to go straight down the track of where it was before? Or are we going to deviate a little bit and, and try something new, experiment? Not to say that that's going to be the way it is forever, but we can experiment. We can use this time to play with this. Great tip. I want to hear your answer about the people who say culture doesn't matter, that we can get by the cultural disform anyway. I'm really curious about that because I come across people from time to time who don't believe it's got any relevance. So what's your answer about culture? You're the culture equation, the specialist. What's your answer to them? That I wholeheartedly agree with them. Culture will form whether they like it or not, whether they're intentional or not about it, it will form because people behave and they watch others and they copy people. And really culture is just a collection of behaviours, rules and norms and ways we, we go about doing things. And Really, I think there's a great quote out there and I don't know who said it. You might know, Margie, but culture is the worst behaviours we're willing to accept. And so, yes, if, if you don't believe that culture is important, then you're allowing those behaviours to go unchecked. They will eventually have an impact on your business and on your bottom line results. And we do know that there is a link between performance and culture. I mean, that's been proven time and time again at a micro and macro level. And we have seen the risk of not paying attention to culture and what that can do from a business perspective. So we have seen huge organizations fall on their sword when it comes to not paying attention to the culture of their organization. So as you know, we could talk about this forever because it's our passion and our background and what we do every day. What would your final tips be for people who might find a little bit overwhelming to start to, as a leader, focus on culture? You don't just stand up in front of your team and say, let's focus on culture. What's the sort of pathway to finding and developing your culture? I think the best thing to start with is is find an organisation like ours, obviously, but there's others out there that can really help you to discover what your culture is and put some sort of a fingerprint on that. That might be through a process that would involve 
interviews, focus groups, surveys, but you'll actually get a picture of what your culture is right now. And really look at that picture and say, is that going to help us to achieve our, our goals? Do we need to change that? Will this help us to attract great talent? What are the things that changing this culture could help us to achieve? Or if it is incredibly positive and everybody in the organization has just put their finger on what it is, well, then how do we just bring that to life? Or keep it. Keep it, (laughs) protect it, Mm. um, make sure others know about it. Um, That's all I would say is really get a a picture of where you are right now before even thinking about changing it or doing anything about it. Because it could be that there's something right there under your nose that you don't know is an incredibly positive differentiator for your business. Well, Ham, I wish you all the best in 2021 as people really need the support that you offer in organisations to help them create great culture so they can be high performing. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Listener.